Welcome to the latest episode of Focus Talks on Investec Focus Radio, a series of candid conversations with leaders, innovators, and change makers. They smell weakness. If somebody like Gary Oldman says to you, what do you want me to do here? What are you thinking here? And you go, um, well, you're dead. They'll just eat you up alive. You know, They'll just take over. They'll push you aside. They'll do their own thing. So that's a real challenge. You always have to have an answer. You always have to have clarity. And you've got to be as honest as you can about it. Yeah. That was Donovan Marsh giving some insight on surviving the film industry as a South African director in the USA and through a pandemic. Donovan is a Johannesburg-born filmmaker and screenwriter. He now spends quite a bit of time in Los Angeles, but is often drawn back to his home country of South Africa to tell our unique stories. His films span various genres from comedy to crime thrillers. In South Africa, he's probably most famous for his work on the Spud films, but last year he released I Am All Girls, and it's this film centered on human trafficking that we will be homing in on for this focus talk. Human trafficking is an area where Investec is determined to make an impact. As a financial services company, we have a responsibility to follow the financial flows from this illicit trade and to flag when our clients are potentially implicated. But we are also expanding our current UK-based modern slavery statement to become a group-wide statement. I am Tanya Dos Santos, Global Head of Sustainability at Investec. Now, let's listen in to the conversation with Donovan Marsh. So, Donovan, tell us what inspired you to get into filmmaking and tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, I can remember far back when I didn't, we didn't really know what filmmaking was, you know, I, um, and I knew I liked going to films and I knew I liked watching them, but I had no clue how they were made and there were no such thing as behind the scenes or making ofs. And when I was 16, I saw a making of of a never-ending story, that movie that I loved. And I thought, oh, so that's how they do it. That's what I want to do. Oh, that looks like fun. I'll make that my living. And I remember deciding that very particularly. I think I was 15. And I never, never wavered. Wow. (laughs) So, So you went straight into directing. Has it always been the same type? Has it always been commercial films? I started off making, uh, doing television of all stripes. Uh, I did weird shows like Gladiators and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I directed so this multi-cam television, um, but I always wanted to do drama and I, I'm from a theater background. I went to drama school. So that was always a dream to actually direct movies, but it's tremendously hard to get into that world, very competitive, very tough, and not a lot of people can make a living out of it. So eventually I managed to weasel my way in. But how did you actually make that transition um, and adapt to the different genres? I mean, generally someone sticks to you know what they're good at. I mean, you just do it, you know, you just come up with the story. I, I realized that the way to get anything done is to do everything yourself. So I became a little master of each of the different trades. I write, I edit, I direct, I produce, wow. I create. Um, and as, so I didn't have to rely on anybody else to give me the leg up. I was giving myself the leg up and, and that's how it got started. So many South Africans um, would probably know you best for the Spud movies. Mm. Um, I, in particular, love the Spud movies, watched them uh, firstly with my son and then my daughter. And I was very relieved after we watched with my son that he chose not to go to boarding school. Um, (laughs) But if he did, I definitely think that Michael House would be a great option. Um, How did you draw on your own school experiences for that movie? Well, I went to a very similar school. I went to Bishops in Cape Town. And so it was almost identical. And I actually took many of my own experiences and added them to John van der Rate's experiences in the book and created that world. Tremendously easy. I loved school and it was very evocative. 
and it shapes you as a human being. And uh, Spider's a coming-of-age film, and it's about how school shapes you, especially those kinds of schools, or doesn't shape you, or ruins you, or destroys you, or how you survive it. And, and, and I really resonated with all the things that, that the book was dealing with. And working with John Cleese, I mean, he's such an icon um, in the acting career. So how, how was it for you working with him? Yeah, like John was always, John Cleese was always the person we wanted for the roles, what I always imagined in the role, and he was perfect. But getting to him was tremendously difficult. And, and after many, many months of trying, he eventually persuaded his agent to read the script and, and got the script to him. And, and as soon as he read it, he said, yes, it's one of the nicest scripts he's ever read. Uh, he loves the material and he can't wait to do it. And and so, was so, he yeah. easy to work with? I mean, difficult to get to, but then easy to work with. He's an incredible human being. He's highly intelligent. He's got a law degree. He's very involved. He works on the script with you. He knows what he's good at and, and how he can make the most of the material and where the laughs are and how he can find those laughs. I mean, you're talking about a guy from Monty Python here, so you're not going to question his, his way of doing things. But, you know, I still had my own requirements, very collaborative. Um, he was in his 70s, so maybe a bit grumpy here and there, and, and, and movie making is, is arduous on, 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 the, on the youngest of people. Um, but I had an amazingly positive experience with him, and, and I really connected with him, I think. Um, yeah, that's really yeah. good to hear, because he seems like that kind of man. You always yeah, yeah, wonder yeah, what yeah. actors are like behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, actors have to be very open. It's, that's the craft. You, know, you have to be open to people and highly empathic. Um, and they're very sensitive human beings. You need to be sensitive. And so if you meet them as another sensitive human being, you'll get a good result. I've never had ever with anybody I've ever worked with problems um, um, because I try and meet them as empathic human beings. You know, which, wow. Yeah. So empathy is obviously a key skill to, to your career and to being a director. What other characteristics are important for you to have? You know, it's a tremendously collaborative art. You know, it is an art form. It's like painting, except unlike painting, there are many painters all painting the same picture at the same time. So you kind of imagine this canvas, lots of brushes that are coming in, and, and it's almost guaranteed to end up in a dog's breakfast. So the director's job really is to take all those paint brushes and make sure they're dipping in the right colors and that they're painting in unison, that everything forms a beautiful picture at the end. And it's actually tremendously tough to do that. And that's why so many movies actually don't feel like they're any good, you know. It's not because people didn't try and it's not because they're untalented, but to try and create that concert of everybody coming together. And that is the director's job. I'm not doing anything particular. I'm not acting, I'm not doing the camera work, I'm not doing the music composition, but I'm getting all those people to work together to achieve a singular vision. And that, that is the job of the director. So you must have immense patience as well then. Patience is a virtue though. <laughs> Notoriously directors are impatient and scream and shout, but it's not my style. Um, you have to have a lot of awareness, I think. You need to be able to predict how people will respond emotionally to things so that you can guide them correctly and that each human being requires a different approach and it's, it's marrying all the different approaches is, is, is very tough. Okay. Yeah. And your 2019 movie with Gary Oldman and um, one of my favorite actors, Gerard Butler. Um, he has a lot of fans. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Hunter Killer. I mean, wow, that's, that's a huge film to direct. Mm. How, how did you land up in that space? Well, I have an agent in, in, in Los Angeles. I got an agent of my earlier films. And their job is to sell me out there. And I, I regularly, every, you know, every few months, I'm pitching on scripts. And they send me stuff. And... You know, I pitch against various other people and, you know, you go through a process. Eventually they fly you to Los Angeles to meet the studio and to meet the star. And I met, came to meet Gerald Butler. Um, and, you know, you just got to chip away at it. And eventually, if you're lucky, you get the part. Well, I don't think you're lucky. Mm. I think there was a lot of hard work behind that. I mean, sure. what, what did you actually, why do you think they picked you over everyone else? I was cheap. No. <laughs> well, it's partly true. Um, 
know, I think, you know, Hollywood's always looking for something young and something fresh and something different and somebody with a different point of view. Um, you've got to hand that to Hollywood. They are always trying to do something original, often failing. Um, and I think they saw in me somebody with a different sensibility. They liked what they saw in my previous films. I do have a particular style that is unique. And I think they wanted to see if they could experiment with that style in the film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just amazing, mm -hmm. you know, from a South African perspective to have this immense profile moving from South Africa, directing films here, and then next thing you're, you're directing a massive Hollywood um, mm -hmm. production. How was it for you? I mean, surely there was a much bigger budget than you were used to. You're working with these A-list, um, you know, actors. How did you adapt to that? My approach was to treat them exactly the same as I treat local actors, to approach the film in exactly the same way I would. Um, and that is to say, you know, with total respect, with a very clear vision and clear ideas. And I didn't try to, you know, I met Jared Butler, I didn't laugh at his jokes if they weren't funny. Um, I, I didn't unnecessarily compliment him unless he was doing some good work. And I try to just meet them as human beings. Um, uh, it's, it's very difficult because there's a, there's a hierarchy in Hollywood. Um, it's very competitive, a lot of money to be made and lost. And so, you know, to stay you know, in the pecking order and to have your voice heard, even though you're the director, sometimes you can feel they're not hearing me because he's, you know, you're dealing with big stars. You feel like they know it all and they've got 40 movies under their belt and I've just got five or six. Um, and so it's very tough following through on my ideas. I came with ideas, the reason I got the job, but then to actually execute those ideas without getting them overly meddled with and ruined uh, is hard. And I don't say I always achieved it on that film. I often felt there were compromises in that film I was not happy with and would never otherwise have to make on a South African film where, where I can do what I want. But that's part of the process. You've got to work your way in there and, and, and prove to them you know, that, that you know what you're doing. And so it was reproving myself was a challenge. Um, and tough, very, very tough emotionally, physically stressful. Um, but in the end, I treated it exactly as I would a South African film. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm getting the sense that authenticity is, is another key char characteristic that you seem to have, which makes you unique. Um, <laughs> and, you. you know, often you meet directors and they're not authentic. I don't meet directors often, but often you meet people who talk about the um, fakeness of Hollywood. So I think it's quite rare to see, you know, that in, um, yeah. in the context. So patience, tolerance, authenticity. Well, yeah, um, well, You've got to be very honest. You'll be very honest yeah. and very clear about what you want. They smell weakness. If, if somebody like Gary Oldman says to you, what do you want me to do here? What are you thinking here? And you go, um, oh, well... You're dead. They'll just eat you up alive. You know, they'll just take over. They'll push you aside. They'll do their own thing. So that's a real challenge. You always have to have an answer. You always have to have clarity, and you've got to be as honest as you can about it. Yeah. Okay. How did COVID impact the filmmaking industry? It was devastating for the film industry. Um, people who were caught mid-production couldn't finish, couldn't carry on. Um, people couldn't shoot the movies they had planned. I couldn't do the things I had planned. Um, so devastating overall. Um, um, I was tremendously lucky to have finished the shooting of I Am All Girls just prior to COVID coming, to hitting, uh, and I was able to complete the film under COVID because it was just post-production. Um, and then, you know, Netflix didn't have any content two years. You know, it was a very hard sell. The movie was made. It was independently produced um, very bravely by MTBA Pictures had put the money up. It was their first feature film. Um, Are they a local production? They're a local production company. Um, tremendous group of guys and girls. Um, but they couldn't sell it. They wanted to do a theatrical release, which I was against, because I think it's too, too tough for that kind of, kind of audience who generally see Marvel movies. 
Um, and so they str we struggled to sell the film. We struggled to make a sale for the film. And it, it was even a tough sell to Netflix because the subject matter is so dark and difficult. Um, but because COVID meant there was no content, suddenly they, they needed content. And so they took a risk, Netflix, on I'm All Girls. They didn't think people could stomach it, quite frankly. And uh, we put it on Netflix. Uh, it was the most successful South African film they'd ever put on that channel. It was seen by 30 million households worldwide. Um, it had tremendous reach. It was number two in the United States on the week it came out. And uh, so it just reached people and a lot of people saw it. And it was, it's a huge success story for Netflix uh, as an af African piece of content. Sure. And I mean, yeah. ironically, during COVID, people were turning to Netflix. Um, right. They had more time to. Right. Um, so there was probably great timing in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Netflix has been tremendous for the local film industry because they do want to niche out, you know, as... as they, they realized, yes, there's an audience for Marvel movies, but they're audience for every kind of film because they're a subscription service. It's not like, oh, we have to have Ted Pole thing one after the other. Oh, we have to make something for them, for our, for our, our base. No, there's other people who are more interested in, in fringe content, you know, and, and so that brings in more subscribers of a different stripe. Uh, um, but the amazing thing about I'm All Girls, because it's a police procedural, because it's a thriller, uh, it did actually have a reach into the base and it did reach 30 million households for, for a movie of that nature. It's tremendous is a tremendous result. Uh, and it's thanks to people like Netflix who've revitalized the South African film industry, have given us an avenue of, of funding that we've never had before. Realizing that local content is what local people want to see, but actually it's also what international people want to see. Because in a way we're tired of American and British content. We, we, we've saturated on it. We've seen those worlds and we've heard those accents and we've, we've, we've witnessed those subcultures. And we've got our own subcultures and we've got our own issues that are fascinating and interesting. And they're characters you haven't met and stories you haven't heard and places that you've never been. And so Netflix have recognized that. They're giving us money. I'm making a, another film with them doing exactly the same. It's even in vernacular, but it's for a big audience. Uh, and it's been tremendous. So can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're currently working on? I'm working on a gangster film. Uh, I can't say more than that, unfortunately. I am NDA'd. Um, but it's just another South example. South African based. South African film through and through. South African talent through and through. Um, and they've been amazing. Often... Whenever I do a, a film for the studio, they want to put studio names, they want to put American actors in. And I hate an American actor coming and putting in a bad South African accent and pretending they're from Rosettenville when they wouldn't, they've even been there. Um, and it doesn't feel authentic in, in this film. It's all local actors. That's what Netflix wants. That's what they're committed to. And we're going to make our own stars here. Okay. So mm. from, you know, local humor to international action um, to I Am All Girls, which is mm -hmm. obviously a very serious and very painful topic to, um, to have tackled um, mm -hmm. as a director. Tell us how that came to be. How did you end up picking I Am All Girls or did, did it pick you? Well, another producer came to me with the material based on a true story of Van Rooyen and Joey Harhoff back in the late 90s, abducted six girls who were never found uh, and then they were murdered. Uh, and it was a story using that as a kickoff point, and I thought that was fascinating and interesting, and uh, I liked the world. I thought it was an important topic. I, th I, I love doing things that have a lot of atmosphere. Uh, they showed me the script. It was terrible, um, and I said to them, well, if you let me take complete control of this thing and completely rewrite the script and see if I can find something in here, I wanted to do something more arty than I had done before. I'd done a lot of commercial films. I wanted to do a difficult film. I wanted to do an artistic film. I wanted it to be honest and true and beautiful. Um, and I wanted to create an atmosphere so that you could feel what it was like to be somebody who was trafficked and what it was feels like to police that and have to live it um, every day. So I have to be honest with you. Mm. Um, 
I, I did watch the whole movie, um, but I felt incredibly uncomfortable watching it. Mm. Um, and it left me feeling a bit desolate, um, a bit empty. Uh, it, it didn't leave me, you know, it, it wasn't your typical feel good movie. Um, you know, what did you want to achieve with the movie? And what did you want people to be left with? I think it would have been dishonest to have an up ending on a movie about human trafficking, modern slavery. It just felt wrong to have. And we debated the end at great length about, I don't want to give the ending away, but we, you know, what state are we going to leave our heroes in at the end of the film? Are they going to be healed and off to live a wonderful life? Um, and that just seemed dishonest. Um, and so I wanted simultaneously to say, this world is not sorted out. It requires your further attention. And to give you, I think there isn't a, there's a strand, and the leads of the film are two women. One is a, a Hawks um, a policewoman investigating human trafficking, and the other uh, is, is somebody who survived uh, slavery and survived being trafficked as a child. But these women hold on to their integrity, uh, do not give up on seeking justice for what has happened to them. Um, and I thought that was a powerful message. And so, yes, I wanted you to feel uncomfortable. You needed to feel uncomfortable. But I hope you felt like, well, here are two women who did something about it and made a difference, who, who found some justice and will continue to, to do that. Yeah. I certainly felt, how mm. can I do more? Yeah. You know, what, what, what is it that I need to be doing? Mm. I need to play my mm. part. I can't mm. ignore mm. this. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I think that's, that's important enough to... You never know to what degree films influence people to behave in different ways. And, yeah. and that's okay if it doesn't create behavioral change. But I think... Uh, making you aware, bringing it into the conversation. Um, now people can talk about it. They, get, they have the facts at their fingertips. They understand it. It's in the dialogue. And I think over time that translates to some kind of change. Um, and, and certainly what you guys are doing here at Investec, uh, committing to you know, stopping the money trail and, and, and making it hard for these people to conduct business. I like to think all these things are linked and that what the movie did and what you're doing is all combining to create a uh, a larger consciousness around the issue and yeah. uh, hopefully that motivates people or some people. Sure. Um, at the yeah. end of the film, you, you um, have a stat um, that talks to between 500,000 and 700,000 women being trafficked annually and yet less than 1% are recovered. What actually happens to, to these women? What we discovered is, is, is those few women that get rescued and go into these, often into a halfway house or they, they get into a rescue center, um, they end up back recycling back into the life. That's what happens, unfortunately. And so then the NGOs that I, I worked with were saying, yes, you know, we, we take, you know, we might rescue 30 girls a month, but only one of those girls will actually cycle out and actually have a life outside of trafficking. Those other 29 girls eventually just find that there's no other choices for them, no other way to earn a living. And they're addicted to drugs mostly, so they clean up in the halfway house, then they start taking drugs again. The only way to pay for drugs is to go back into the life. Drugs is, to me, the big thing that traps people into this, into this life, both pimps and, 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 um, and girls alike. You know, often they're, they're similarly trapped um, and uh, there's no way out. And so that's why so few people actually get out. Yeah, which is incredibly sad because, mm. um, you know, if we can't reach them before that point, um, it's even harder once they mm, once mm. they're up. I mean, all the all the girls that I interviewed and, and brothels I went to, there's no locked door on the front. They can walk out the door any any second they want. They just can't. Their identity documents have been withheld from them or being held by the the pimps. Often a higher pimp up who wouldn't be seen in a brothel. 
Um, and so they can't, they've got no identity documents and they have no money and they're addicted to drugs and they have no way of procuring those drugs cheaply other than through their pimps. And so the pimps are quite happy to let the girls go off wherever. They know they're coming back. Yes, it's almost a spiral. Yeah, that they don't even mind with the NGO lady. Well, I went with an NGO lady into a brothel um, and you would have thought these pimps would be, and she's, her objective is to save these girls, but she's got a relationship with the pimps. Pimps almost don't mind. They've got a problem girl. They, they'll let the NGO lady take her cleaner up if she's got a drug, uh, drug addiction. And they just know the girls will be back. And so, you know, they're happy for the NGOs to come in and, and take the girls sometimes. So you've explained how it's, um, you know, extreme poverty and desperation um, and very vulnerable people that, that land up in um, being trafficked. Can you tell us a bit more about the heroes, about, you know, the people who are working night and day um, to catch and to stop human mm. trafficking? Yeah, so in the movie I made, uh, uh, the protagonist is a hawks, a colonel, female, uh, and she investigates human trafficking. And so we went to meet the real hawks who police this for South Africa. There's only 14 of them. They have to do every single case in the whole of South Africa, tens of thousands of cases. And uh, we found some incredibly dedicated men and women um, who, the police are often maligned in this country, but I found them to be singularly dedicated. These were people who, you know, had to take different routes home every night because they get followed, um, whose families are at risk because of the work they do. Uh, and, you know, these people don't sleep, um, they're traumatized, um, but that doesn't stop them going full on to catch these people. And they walk, they work 24 seven. Uh, they work together in amazing ways. We were tremendously helpful in the movie. They allowed uh, my, my actors who are playing, who are playing them ostensibly in the film to go along with them, learn them, beat their families into their worlds. And, and they really are unsung heroes working for peanuts, working in a terrible building that's run down, um, but making the most of it, not complaining and getting the job done. I mean, you just describe what NGOs do as well. Yeah. So they're also the other unsung heroes mm, that we don't mm, don't mm, talk enough mm. about. I mean, there's obviously corruption there too, but but the ones I met were were, were, were astonishing. Yeah. So I mean, it, um, it's it was an incredibly hard topic for you to tackle. Mm. Um, I wonder if you know, do filmmakers have a responsibility to help spotlight some of these very deep dark issues? Look, there's documentary films and what I do, which is drama entertainment. And, and so I think all documentarian or documentary directors that I know feel a responsibility to highlight issues. And the best documentaries are ones that, 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 that open up a world that no one's seen before and, then, and therefore uh, make a difference in a very real way. Whereas what I do is entertainment. And so I, I, I always feel slightly uncomfortable around these issue films because it's a fine line between exploitation of the subject matter and me using that subject matter to shock you or thrill you and create an adventure. You know, is that really fair? And so often I'm ambivalent sometimes about my role in, in, in issues. And is it really the role of the entertainer to be mm. taking on issues or taking a position on issues? And great entertainment, in my view, tells all sides of the story. You know, you want to show all sides um, and let the viewer come up with their own decision about what's right and what's wrong. I see that as my role, is to, rip, is to be honest about what's happening. And if I can be really honest about it, even though I'm making a piece of entertainment, I think that's the best I can do, you know, and then leave you to decide. Yeah, you know, I think mm. it's great because you reach a different audience. Yeah. You know, there's a certain audience that'll watch a documentary and, and there's a completely different audience that will, yeah. will watch a movie for entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they were, and you won't tolerate being preached to in entertainment. One just doesn't, you know. In a documentary, it's somewhat different. But yeah, so I don't try to preach. I don't try to tell people what to think. I try to give them the facts and give them the emotion, really. 
Yeah. How does it feel? What does it feel like to be in this world? Yeah. And uh, if you get that, that's good, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also love the way at the end of the film, you know, you dedicated it to the families and yeah, yeah, the people yeah. who have actually been trafficked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so I think in, in that way you were saying this is more than just a story. This is real. Yeah, um, yeah. This is, you know, something that is being lived every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what are your final thoughts in terms of, how, you know, how people can take a stance, can speak up, can do something about this? Yeah. I mean, you've got to keep talking about it is my main thing. You've got to keep it in the conversation. Um, you don't shy away from it. Uh, meet people who, you know, if you have a chance to ever meet someone in the world, and I, I meet them quite often, is people want to tell their stories. People want to be heard. Uh, people want you to recognize them. People want to be seen as equal human beings, even if they've been through something incredibly traumatic. And the amount of people that even you, you wouldn't even know, but are working here in your bank that have had the amount of People that I know, like they're just people in my social, that I, you wouldn't consider have been victims of human trafficking. Or, or even it's just for a short while who were abducted or, or, or were, were recruited. Um, this is happening right around us. You just need to be aware of it and you can do things. If you see it and notice it, speak to those people, hear their stories. And if it's in your direct ambit to do something, do it. You know, um, um, I think that's probably the best you can expect from the average person. Yeah. Donovan, thank you so much for your patience. It's a pleasure, thank you. For your authenticity mm -hmm. um, and your determination to keep tackling these. We really look forward to seeing the sequel of I Am All Girls too. Thank you, yeah, we're, we're excited. We wanna do something, possibly a TV series. Great, thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's talk, there's plenty more where that came from. Conversations with the likes of Professor Glenda Gray, Elaine de Bouton, and Sir Richard Branson. Just scroll through Investec Focus Radio. And remember to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.